Okay. I didn't know that. Cool. And, and they don't want you to know it. Don't put me not knowing that in the podcast. <laughs> but definitely don't delete it. Now I didn't know all that. <laughs> Cut that in. We've had one, yes. But what about second episode? Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. I am Jamie Clare, and I'm here with three of my best buds to talk about episode two of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. As always, I'm joined by our lore master, Andrew Smith. Andrew Smith here, a connoisseur of many things, DC Marvel. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the Sandman episode that came out on Netflix last uh, a few weeks ago. Here, uh, you can find me at connoisseur of that one episode. <laughs> of that one episode, I've only watched three. I've not watched the rest of that series, but I've heard it's good. So uh, you can find me at Darth A Smithius on Twitter. As well, we are joined by the expert of all things fantasy, Chris Pio. Hey guys, Chris back here for another episode. I'm excited to be here. If you want to follow more of my takes, you can find me on Instagram at Apple Pio and on Twitter at Apple underscore underscore Pio. I lost a bet, but uh, man, you should see the guy with one underscore. What an idiot. Can you even imagine the guy with no underscores? Well, that's the one I wanted, but... Uh, I want to see the guy with three underscores. Ridiculous. Uh, honestly, I tried to get him on the podcast and he was unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, we are joined by the guy checking all of these facts, Jake Laxer. Hey all, Jake Laxer here. Uh, again, major lover of all things movies, TV shows, music, you know, just pick something, I probably like it. That's just me. Uh, ecstatic to be part of the team. Uh, again, loving the Rings of Power, and even though it's only been one episode, uh, it's now 11 a.m. in Japan, still drinking some tea, and still eager to spill it. We are happy to have you here. Thanks once again to my three best buds for joining me on this Hobbit Hoopla adventure. And thank you all for listening, for tuning in to our little show here. Um, You guys obviously found us on whatever podcast app you use. But if you could like and share this podcast with all your friends um, and continue to to support us, we greatly appreciate it. Chris, where can they find us online? We we are pretty much Hobbit Hoopla across platform. Can you believe we're the only ones hooplon about hobbits? I can believe it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Instagram, Twitter, we're we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be all over there at Hobbit Hoopla. As far as all of our links, you're just gonna want to find us at uh, Linktree Hobbit Hoopla for all of our different content right there on the link tree. So give us a drop, uh, give us a listen, send us a message. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah, we would love to hear from everybody. Shoot us a message on Twitter, on Instagram. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any thoughts about the show, The Rings of Power. And without any further ado, let's dive in to this spoiler-filled episode of our review and recap of episode two of The Rings of Power. Hoopla! <laughs> <laughs> Another fantastic episode. We got the whole stage was set for us, an introduction to the main cast of characters in episode one. And now we get to dive into a little bit further into where their stories are going to go. The one that I'm maybe most excited about, because she's my favorite character so far, Nori, is where is it going with Nori and the stranger? When we last left off, she found this 
unconscious, mostly naked man lying in a circle of fire. And we pick up episode two with her best buddy, uh, Poppy. Poppy. Is that Poppy. her name? Poppy. Poppy spooks her a little bit. She falls into the ring of fire. Cold fire, though. Interesting. little magical fire happening. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a our first glimpse into who the stranger might be as he is awoken well, by Nori. I would just chime in real fast. Um, is this any, uh, you know, reference to the fact that they cannot uh, feel fire back up north when we first see Galadriel uh, with the rest of her, her team? Yeah, that first episode when they're in the uh, kind of ice crown citadel looking thing way, way north, the torch fire just does not warm their hands anymore. So cold fire, I guess you could say. Uh, so definitely a callback. It's got to be the same sort of mystery and, and magic there. Does this immediately mean that this mysterious figure or man is evil? So they're definitely playing at something like that. There's definitely some sort of mystery. There's a purpose to the character where throughout the episodes, there's subtle nods to things like black speech of Mordor, there's animals dying, there's cloud cover, ominous cloud cover coming in whenever he's on screen. So they're definitely playing into that. Now, who he actually is, I think we could probably debate that one. And we will. We will continue <laughs> to debate it. For, yeah, I, I would say for eight episodes, we will debate it. For the remainder of the season, I'm sure. <laughs> and then maybe more after that, if we get the full five, six seasons that we're planning. I think this is going to be a, a very interesting character to keep track of. And so far, I'm loving the interaction between the stranger and Nori and how she has she feels like this sense of purpose and destiny in some sense that the stranger landed in front of her. And now she is the one who has to introduce the stranger to the world. Here's my question. Um, you know, I... I made a reference earlier in the first episode that Poppy and Nori were similar to that of Frodo and Sam. Do we think that this figure could be somewhat of a golem in relation to that? It's quick to jump to that. My initial thought is that this is Sauron. Second thought is maybe he's another one of the Maiar, uh, someone who might turn into a, a wizard, maybe Gandalf, probably not Gandalf specifically. Should we just dive in? Should, should we dive in on the, the stranger here? Yeah, I think it's time. I think we got we to gotta lay out everything we know so far. Where do we think it's going? What are your thoughts, Andy? Who is this guy? So there's, in my mind, there's four options. Knowing kind of some of the backstory, I wouldn't presume this to be Sauron, but maybe he's shapeshifted into a, an old man. I'm more so in the feeling that he's either a blue wizard the, the two blue wizards, what we know from the from the appendices in the Lord of the Rings series, there's two blue wizards that did come to Middle-earth in the Second Age. So that could fit the bill. They did come together. So that would be a little bit of a, a difference from the storyline, the backstory. Um, that's one option. We don't know much about them. So uh, they go off in the Second Age and they're not heard from in the Third Age. Now, there's... The options that they were the blue wizard as, as I was watching this show, I, I really thought that that was the case. The more longer or the more the episode kind of went on, I think this is Gandalf. Oh, oh, he said it. Gandalf the gray. Gandalf the nude. <laughs> Gandalf the nude. That's right. Now, now really, 
really quick though, I was going to say, Jamie. Now, uh, Darby did say she she was watching the episode and she said, "This is kind of a Radagast type," which I thought was a pretty funny comment. He's eating the snails. <laughs> he was. He's eating the snails. He was enjoying the snails. Hey, honestly, that might jump to my to my number two guess. Could be Radagast. He shrinks. He shrinks over the next <laughs> two thousand years. Yeah, he's got plenty of time. You know, it, it's a difficult. He lives with the Harfoots for a while, and he starts to kind of become one of them. Who knows? But there are some things that make him seem like he could be Gandalf. One, great relationship with the Harfoots, which goes perfectly with Gandalf and the Hobbits. Two, he whispers to the Fireflies and has them do his magical bidding. Very Gandalf-like, as we saw in the fellowship when he speaks to the butterfly to save him from the tower. But something that makes me really not think it is Gandalf is that all the fireflies died immediately after he spoke to them. And I, I do think, you know, what we talked about in the first episode, there's not really like when you think back on the second age, you don't hear much about Harfoots, right? How would you add in Harfoots into a series this is a pretty good way to do it, to introduce a wizard that has a relationship with the Harfoots that brings them into the larger storyline. It gives kind of, once again, the nostalgia factor. You're hitting all the different things that you need for Middle-earth. I am. I'm leaning towards Gandalf here. I, I don't know what I feel about that. I don't know if I like that option. I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing to do for this Amazon series, but I could get on board, depending on what they do in this first season. Is it possible that this is Saruman? I'm I'm here to bust y'all's brackets. Oh, let's see what you this got. This is Saruman. Let's go. Absolutely oh Saruman. We're talking control of the weather. That was evident, a Saruman Ooh. power. We're talking beard. And I'm going to say it. I'll have to find the frame. Maybe we'll post it on Instagram, Twitter, what have you. It looked like Saruman there when he turned around for a second. I saw it. I saw everything about Saruman. The only problem I have with this, and Jake, you make a great point calling back to that triad of the original, the Samwise being the, the lovable oath, uh, the uh, the Frodo, obviously the main character, which could parallel to Nori, but you have that third right. player who is either trying to slow them down or help them in some which way or form. One thing we have to move away from, and everyone's doing it right now, but one thing, this series is going to stand on its own legs. Eventually, we're going to have to get away from comparing it to the original trilogy, as it was so aptly dubbed earlier in our first episode. Chris, I, you know what? I've, I've fully changed sides. You busted my bracket. <laughs> Let's I'm on the go. side. Because the greatest evidence that I was pointing towards for Sauron was the vivid imagery of the Eye of Sauron when he crash-landed to Earth, Middle-earth. Um, he was unconscious in this ring of fire. They did a, a vertical shot from above, framing him in the center of this ring. It looked almost identical to the Eye of Sauron. Sure. So, rather than that being imagery saying that he is Sauron, it's just connecting him to Sauron the way that Sauron is, how Sauron will be in a few thousand years. Chris... You solved it. There you go. That's why people tune into the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. They got questions. We got answers. Two episodes in, we already know who the stranger is. <laughs> and just to disregard everything we said, Gandalf and Saruman, remember, they didn't come to Middle-earth until the Third Age. But, you know, 
there's liberties. We're taking liberties with the source material. So that's okay. That's okay. Fuck. Chris, I've never trusted you, and I will never agree with anything you ever say <laughs> ever again. <laughs> yeah, they're taking liberties, and they, they might even do something if they want to stick with canon being canon. Gandalf shows up to Middle-earth in the Second Age, leaves, comes back 2,000 years later. All right, so after all of that, we got a lot of theories, and we have no clue who the stranger is. <laughs> One of the one of his best scenes was when Nori was showing him how he could eat snails. Yeah. And he just snagged a fistful and started chomping on the shells. Yeah, escargot looks pretty good in Middle Earth, doesn't it? <laughs> Hardly. Hardly. Crawling around like that? He was hungry. He was really hungry. But I you know, one thing I do enjoy about this character is it does seem like he does sway back and forth between good and evil uh, as time progresses, and I think that will also play in nicely in terms of how we see him devolve into uh, this evil after he embraces the the Palantir, I believe that's the correct term, the crystal ball in Fellowship. Yeah, that is correct. That's fact checker Jake for you. Uh, <laughs> you got to check yourself. <laughs> yeah, I need to fact check myself. But uh, yeah, I think I think they this is exactly where they need to show this character is him having um, a likable aspect to himself, like eating these snails, but then also at the end of the episode having this. Uh, dark, you know, evil aspect where we see all these fireflies fade from the light. And where do we think that these this constellation of stars that he created, where do we think that's going to lead us to? Well, I, I was kind of interested in that. I, I was interested because uh, Nori State, she says, I have a good idea where I can find the stars. What does that mean, Nori? Yeah, that's a that's a cliffhanger right there, if I've ever heard one. I know we're getting more episodes this season, but tune in again next week and we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think it's more of a generalization of is she using this as an excuse to finally go run wild, be free? Oh, yeah. I know a place. I think that's definitely a part of it is like she's very willing to help the stranger because she has this desire to leave the camp, leave the wanderer lifestyle of the Harfoots and go out on an adventure. Nori. Poppy and Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> Nori, Poppy, and Saruman. Oh, what a crew. <laughs> yeah, so I think my guess is that she knows somebody. She's met somebody in the past who has studied up on some stars, and she's going to introduce us to a new character. Also, it's Sudok. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is it someone we've already met? Uh, Sudok. He seems like he's pretty familiar with, with all the weather aspects. Yeah, and the mysticism of it all. Um, excited to see where that character comes into play because he does really seem like uh, he's pretty erudite in terms of his knowledge for all things uh, weather. So, the forecaster of Middle-earth. So there's a lot of speculation left to go with who the stranger is, but one thing's for sure, the relationship between Nori and the stranger is going to be... Uh, a very prominent storyline moving forward for this season, maybe future seasons, who knows? You know, Jamie, really quick, one thing on the Harfoots. Um, I just thought that they connected them so well once again with the Hobbits when a giant meteor just hit. Travelers are hunting in a season that they're not supposed to be there. The skies are strange, Sudok says. There are a bunch of wolves in farms in the wrong season as well. 
and they're still setting up for a festival. <laughs> but what about the Harvest Festival? <laughs> Hobbits know how to party, man. <laughs> so we got a lot to look forward to with Nori and the Stranger. But now let's jump over to the other side of the world. You, you see the map transition with a sea monster on the map right around where they land? Do you mean the worm? <laughs> worm. Ooh, the worm. So we map transition over to the middle of the ocean where Galadriel is just kind of swimming. Yeah. Yeah, the greatest swimmer of... in Middle Earth. Yeah. Olympic. All Olympic team. Michael Elf. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Elfs. Michael Elfs. That's great. <laughs> so not a whole lot happens with Galadriel in this episode. A lot lighter than her first episode. Um, but we do meet some some new characters as she gets rescued by a group of four or five people who had been stranded on a on a broken ship, a hobbled together life raft in the middle of the ocean after they've been attacked by this worm, a monster of the deep, uh, where we meet Halbrand, who is going to be seemingly a companion for Galadriel moving forward. The worm comes back, attacks the ship, everybody else dies, leaving us with just Galadriel and Halbrand trying to survive in the middle of the ocean. And we get to see kind of the beginnings of their relationship as they don't really trust each other. Galadriel's an elf, Halbrand's a human. I thought the two actors, um, it's kind of, it's not the most active scene, right? Uh, but I thought mm-hmm. the two actors like really played well together. And I do see it as like an honest relationship. You could believe that these two characters were having this type of exchange. He's a little snarky. She comes back and very, she's up front. She's, you know, even though she's not jumping around, killing ice trolls, snow trolls, and <laughs> you can still feel that with every line that this actress is giving. So I, I enjoyed their interactions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's kind of nice to go from the original transition when she first meets his kin, if you will, where they're very distrustful of her for being an elf. And then, you know, we see a scene where she gets to be pulled down under in the storm and he goes to save her, which just sort of reverts this whole, you know, ideology of, of how they will work effectively together. It'll make a nice, nice setup going forward. And I think, actually, it, it may foreshadow her saving him in the future. Sure. Yeah, we get the... The exact mirroring of when she first shows up to the life raft and he kind of halts her from getting on. And then at the end of the episode, he dives into the ocean to save her life and drag her back up onto the life raft. So we get the the beginnings of this distrustful relationship moving into somewhat of a trusting. And these two are at least in it together for the time being. And then we see a mysterious ship show up at the very end of the episode. The last scene is a silhouette of some powerful looking figure on top of a ship chris who is this guy oh we could have yet another whole podcast segment on who the strangers are in these introductory episodes um i honestly have no clue on this one i mean no amount of lore is going to prepare me for a pirate sailing the seas uh the ocean and and the boundaries of middle earth are already so much more in play in the series than they ever were in the films obviously in the films you have this mystical into the west feeling where you know valinor is over there but you never really see that till the very end when they do of course sail off into the sunset quite literally so 
I got nothing for this. I mean, the boat is is beautiful and ornamental, large. You can tell that for sure. But as far as who's on it and who's at the very end, I got nothing for you. One thing for me uh, that I was kind of looking forward to is hoping they would explore the southern lands of the lands of men. Uh, and I think this may potentially be that in that, you know, we see all these different evil groups show up at the in Return of the King. Um, and we don't really know of their origin, but we know that they have, um, you know, the Western things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. we've, we've sort of seen that they've cascaded into uh, evil to follow Sauron. And so maybe this is them. I, I would be excited to see see more of more of the world. You know, this is a great way for us to introduce Numenor, which is a big theme of the Second Age. And we'll be seeing some for all the Lord of the Rings like movie watchers. This is the main theme of Numenor and Isildur, so I'm excited to see how they represent it. Uh, once again, you, all you see is kind of a large ship come in, a ship-faring nation. That would be really interesting to watch from a men perspective. Usually we've just seen kingdoms on horseback or fields of grain or, or brie, so this is a little bit different. Um, I'm really excited to see where we go from here. That's going to be exciting to see. It's probably going to be very early on in episode three. We'll get to see where this ship is coming from. And maybe Galadriel and Paul Brand will travel with them all the way to their homelands. And hey, maybe it's Numenor. Ooh. Who knows? Jamie, one thing I, I, I wanted to talk about one thing that we did skip over pretty briefly. I just wanted your opinions on this this giant worm attack. So we, we had two very cinematic like moments, action scenes. Absolutely. You have the, the worm attack and then you have the the storm that overtakes their raft beautifully shot both of those sequences i was a little less invested in that than i think a lot of the actual personal interactions i kind of want to move past them being on the raft and then into them interacting with other kingdoms i'm going to interrupt there andy because i'm going to do a bit of a compliment sandwich here and you've already given me two slices of bread <laughs> here's the thing those yeah. two scenes Yes, beautifully shot. Absolutely. Uh, I do agree that the worm looked excellent. Uh, you can clearly see that money we talked about in episode one of, of the podcast here is great going dragon. to good use. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It looked great. Uh, I also like that this is – here's the other slice of bread that you kind of uh, pushed me towards. This is a little more real and, and kind of more gruesome. I wrote down that this is more gruesome in a horror kind of way, more than a fantasy war kind of way. And the worm was kind of the first introduction to that. Yeah, we've seen battling wars. We've seen large, you know, war landscapes of battlefields. But this was a brutal monster killing a couple of people floating with no way to defend themselves. Here's the middle part of that sandwich where you're going to get something where I'll play a bit of a contrarian. You're doing the sandwich backwards, my yeah. man. I know, I know. I told him he gave me slices of bread. Now I'll give you the filling. Here's the negative. With the scenes with Galadriel, yes, it was more slow-paced, as you mentioned. I wasn't as invested. They're relying too heavy on the plot armor. We know she's going to live through this entire series. So putting her in this dangerous situation just to kill off a couple of, of actors that showed up for one scene didn't really interest me. The storms that they're riding through. I know she's going to make it. Of course, I want to see the journey, but I don't need to know every little thing that happened. If it was. Uh, so you led me to that point, Andrew, and uh, you can eat the sandwiches. 
It's a great sandwich. <laughs> well, I appreciate that tasty little sandwich from you, Chris. And again, more speculation as there's going to be with, with every character only two episodes in who's on this boat. Where are they going to take Galadriel and Halbrand? I'm excited to see hopefully a, a new kingdom of men. Who knows? We'll find out soon. But we have seen one civilization of men so far in the Southlands with Arondir and our good friend Bronwyn, where we have a little bit of disturbing news coming in. There's There's been some poisoned land to the east. There's been black milk out of udders. <laughs> oh, that was gross. <laughs> Just a horrible, horrible time. He wandered off for a few days, came back, and, and had COVID. <laughs> Ugh, poor thing. COVID. <laughs> so after we find out that the elves have claimed that the war is over and they're calling back all of their, all of the elves, Arondir can't leave without seeing his love. Bronwyn one more time um, where we get to learn a little bit more about their interaction. He says that I forget exactly how the scene goes, but they're obviously in love with each other. Bronwyn is surprised to see him arrive at her house and they're staring lovingly into each other, each other's eyes. And Bronwyn says, say what you need to say. And Arendir says something along the lines of I've said it a thousand different times just not in words yeah so they've obviously had a a long relationship between the two of them how long i'm not entirely sure but arendir is not ready to to leave and go back to live his life with the elves i would say at most 79 years (laughs) does that one line give more legs to the to the possible half-elf theo theory i've said you know how i feel a thousand ways is one of those a little, uh, you know, hanky panky, a little whoopee in the afternoon. Yeah, a little razzle dazzle. You know, hey, Southlands. Uh, you know, they're all wearing jackets, like big jackets. They got to keep warm during the winter time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I, I did really appreciate the the scene between them. It, it's funny because he's this, I mean, kind of what ancient type elf, right? Talking to a, a a human and he's very stoic when he's talking to her like his whole portray his character uh the actor portraying um Arondir, very stoic every line but you can kind of see you can you can feel even through that uh through that portrayal you can still feel the warmth going to Bronwyn it's an interesting way they're playing it and one thing you know before he jumps into the tunnel in every disney or like Marvel, <laughs> recent Star Wars, there would have been an out of place kiss, but that's not what they did in this scene because it doesn't yes. fit the characters. And I really just appreciated that sequence. Oh man! I mean, I'm fine I'm with a good kiss in a, in a series like we see with Disa and and uh, Prince Durin, but in that sequence, it wouldn't have fit. And if I know one thing about Andy, is that he loves a good kiss. <laughs> that's right, big smooch guy. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that relationship is very interesting. I guess we need to talk about the monster that, that jumped out and attacked Theo, as well as the, the group of monsters that snagged Arendir at the very end. What are those? Are they goblins? Are they orcs? Are they something in between? I, it was hard to tell. I would argue they're gorks. 
gorks. They're probably gorks. Yeah. <laughs> New canon <laughs> official. <laughs> I, I was actually trying to figure that out. First of all, before he actually sees the orcs, what about that tunnel? Like, how claustrophobic did you oh, feel oh, as he's God. running away from these things? Yeah, and the rats are crawling over him. It, his light goes in front of, like, falls over in front of him. Then he jumps into a pool of water. That, like, I really liked this uh, this sequence because of the, the horror aspects to it. Um, and it was kind of out of nowhere. Like, I mean, that the Southland storyline in general has been a little ominous, but it it really leaned into horror horror in the last few sequences there but in terms of like the orcs are they goblins are they orcs i mean i do think they are orcs but they look different from what we've seen obviously this is the first time we've seen an orc really up front and close we saw them in the the opening exposition dump in the first episode it was just so nice to see practical effects actors in costume and not CGI from the Hobbit series, which turned a lot yeah. of viewers off. And, you know, that obviously the the fight scene between Bronwyn and Theo versus that one orc, they're a team and they worked really well together. Now, they handled themselves. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, they've been living under the watchful eye of the, the Elvish Tower for security for eight decades. You, you think You think they were trained by someone? Could be their innate ability from their half elven oh. blood. <laughs> oh, we're leaning into the that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's something that I just thought of. Arendir's been there for 79 years. What if Bronwyn isn't a love interest, but Bronwyn is his daughter? Uh, I'm gonna have to give. I'm the only one excited. I'm gonna have to give zero. I'm gonna have to give zero hoopla's to that one. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, that's fair. That's I fair. will I'll say we marched up to the precipice of what Andy was just talking about about that Disney romance kiss. We were right there to where I could have seen a director say, "Hey, you're gonna smooch right here." And for that reason, I'm out. I don't think I don't think just because we're playing with the timeline doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a brother or a son or a daughter or anything like that. Uh, it's good, good, good thinking. But I'm going to say I'm out on that one. It's way too romantic. And I will say I'm here for it. That relationship, I ship it. All right. Well, you guys are going to feel like fools when we find out in season seven. <laughs> and for that reason, three hooplas. Three hooplas. <laughs> Then who? Okay, I've been wrong before. Who? Who's? Who's Thea? Just obvious. Well, great, so just a grandson. grandson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I'm not going to die on this hill, but I am going to say. Doesn't Theo have very like strong adversity towards his grandfather? Well, who doesn't? I'm sorry, Grandpa, if you're listening to this. Again, I won't die on this hill, but I would have to go back and and rewatch to see if it is entirely a romantic interest between Arendir and Bronwyn, or if it's a familial love, obviously it initially seems to be romantic. A thousand ways. I could think that could yes. be interesting. A thousand ways, just not words. Hey, you're absolutely correct, but like I brought up in episode one, we never see Bronwyn's ears. True. Great point. Great point. Yeah, that's true. Hey, one, one thing I did want to bring up in the, the action scene uh with the two another like you could tell right that we're they're late like jay Bayona is like pushing into the horror aspects when there's actually a classic girl in the closet scene 
Yeah. She sees outside the the closet that you see the monster pass by and then eventually the monster opens up and she throw it like uh, Theo stabs him in the back uh, and then they have their interactions. But I, I thought that was pretty interesting and just something I wasn't expecting. I was impressed that they were actually able to take that thing down. All things considered. Um, it, I mean, it launches the table entirely across the room. The thing's obviously pretty powerful. Um, and there's some strong element of uh, magic or evil sorcering going on here. Must be because they have elven blood. There it is. Uh-oh. Just saying. There it is. <laughs> you won't give this up, will you? So there's one last thing we need to bring up before we move on to our last group of characters for this episode is Ooh. Sauron's sword. The, sword. the broken yes. sword of Sauron that Theo finds. And then what's going to happen? Because the... One of his wounds from his battle with yeah. the orc started mm-hmm. bleeding and oozing into the sword, empowering it with some flame and shadow and smoke. Or was the sword withdrawing it? I was just going to say that. It reminds me of kind of the Morgul blade, right? Within the Lord of the Rings series. And there are some famous kind of, there are some famous blades uh, in the Second Age. And I saw some of you guys tweeting out some different names that it could be. Or maybe it's just a. Morgul blade from an area that's well populated by followers of Morgoth uh, and Sauron. So I'm I'm interested to see what they do with that. Um, and what is it going to do to Theo? Because they're going to be an effect on Theo that maybe we've seen with other types of characters like Frodo. I don't know. Is it going to corrupt him or is it just a blade, a shadow blade from D and D? Jamie. Okay. <sighs> I guess we'll see. So yet another. Story I do also want to bring up something before we transition from this. Um, we do see in Return of the King, the only time we see a fire sword, which is what we saw in this scene, was with the Witch King. Um, is this already is this already our first connection to one of the Rings of Power? Could mm-hmm. be. Is Theo one of the men who receives a ring? Mm-hmm. Does Theo become a king? Oh my god. By the time that the Rings of Power get made? Ooh. <laughs> Does Theo become a ring wraith? Right, that's what I'm saying. If he gets the ring, he becomes a ring wraith. Speculation abound. Mm. <laughs> that's why you guys tune into the Hobbit Hoopla podcast, because if anything pops up in the show, we're going to come up with theories about it. That's right. I do really like that he picks it up and he sees like Sauron's sigil. And anytime that sigil comes on the screen, they, they depicted him exactly how you depicted the eye in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I love those kind of similarities. Anytime that Galadriel thinks of, sees the sigil, she sees it on fire. It's a great way. It gets me ready to see how are they going to depict Sauron. Do, has he been there already in the series? I don't know. Yeah, we feel the same exact way. We, it's an enemy that we're very familiar with. Instantly feel that fear that we felt in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that sword. And now we have one final group of characters to talk about. Oh, man. A new introduction to another race as we meet up with Elrond once again, as he is now in Eregion. Mm-hmm. He and Celebrimbor made the way to Eregion to discuss Celebrimbor's ideas for a new forge, a tower to be built. For some reason, he has a due date of this must be made by spring, <laughs> which seems very strange to me for 
eternal beings to have a very strict time That's schedule for something. Point. But maybe there's some reason that we'll get into as to why he has this deadline. Um, but in order for Celebrimborn to have this huge, powerful forge, Elrond suggests that they bring in some friends from outside their race. And where do we go? After this, but Khazad Doom right. to meet up with the dwarves. Khazad Doom. <laughs> <laughs> and we get an amazing introduction to the dwarves as Elrond is immediately sent away from the door. No. <laughs> <laughs> the no was so great. It was fantastic. <laughs> And we get another sort of reference to the speak friend and enter yes. riddle from the Minds of Moria in the Fellowship before Elrond invokes the right of Sigi Tarak. Sigi Tarak. And we get, as Andy said, one of the best sequences in the show so far. They go, we get to see the scale and scope of Khazad Doom inside this mountain. Huge, sprawling city. Haven't we been waiting for that for so long? Oh, man. Uh, we've never really... I mean, we we saw the Misty Mountain in the Hobbit series, but we really never saw the Dwarven Kingdom at its height in its like full glory. That two-minute scene to intro of the full glory of Khazad-dûm was better than the entire Hobbit trilogy. I'm saying it right here. <laughs> Boston brackets again. Even better I'm than saying the barrel that two scene? minutes. Even better than the barrel scene. God, that man. two minutes alone wow. was better than the entire show. Oh, man. So cool. I, my favorite part. Let's all talk about our favorite parts because why not? It's our podcast. <laughs> the light mirrors. The refracting light mirrors. Yes. Yes. Some, Obviously, when we see these same minds and other minds later in, in the, the trilogy, they're all gone. We, we know the reasons for this, but my favorite thing was that the light coming down and being refracted in made this a very bright and homely place. You think about the dwarves hiding themselves in the mountains, doesn't matter. They're going to find a way. They're going to make trees grow. They're going to get light in there and... Boy, did it look cool. They're, reflect, they're refracting light uh, that then pushes over to an area where they're farming. Yeah. You see them actively farming. You It pans over and there's vines on the wall. And it's just the scale of looking across Kazadum. Um, that was awesome. And while that's taking place, my favorite part of the sequence is the music. This is the first time there in the go. two episodes where the 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 theme for Kazadum is really powerful. You can just you can feel they're at the height of their kind of power. It's booming. The bass in the song was booming and as the the soldiers are marching along, I love yeah, the, the solo chanting. Oh, they were so good. Did you see how their helmets had beards yes. attached to the helmet? <laughs> yes. But then their beards no would I go farther. Element. Like, they would go longer than the actual <laughs> helmet. Um, take a look at that the next time. Nothing better than a dwarf beard. What do you think of Khazad-dûm, Jakey? Yeah, no, I, I loved our first invitation into Khazad-dûm when the dwarves all walk outside of the door to escort Elrond in. And I love how perfectly stocky they are 
they are. <laughs> um, and so they're escorting, and we see this major, uh, vast internal cavern that's just so architecturally advanced. Um, and there's elevators, and it's it's a pretty magnificent scene to to just sort of watch uh, before your eyes. It was incredible, and they put in so many details, which you guys have discussed all the the light and the farming and everything and the vines on the wall. One of the details that I was most intrigued by was you can see on all the walls of the caves there are veins of some sort of ore, some sort of metal ore in there, which probably is going to end up being the mithril um, that the dwarves discover within these mines. Um, And that might be hinted at at the end of this episode. Who knows? But I'm excited to see where that goes. And we got a lot of good stuff happening with the dwarves, with the Siggy Tarak, which is just a battle to see who can bash the most rocks before they get too tired. (laughs) Full disclosure, I thought it was going to be a drinking competition. I'll say it right here. Maybe that's oh, me stereotyping the that. dwarves. I'm sorry, but they <laughs> they love their ale. You know this. One thing that I really do like about the sequences with the dwarves in here is, once again, we talk about it all the time. In the Hobbit series, they're, they would have been bumbling fools. But yes. you, can, you can tell mm-hmm. that these guys are the ancestors of Gimli. They have their shit together. Right. They're, fe- they're fearsome. They also love to drink, and they're having fun. Yeah, and the dwarves are a great introduction of a new group of people, uh, a new race of people in Middle-earth. And we get to see once again the same thing that we saw in episode one of the relationship between the immortal elves and the 20 years that it's been since Elrond saw Prince Durin was a blink to the life of an elf, but it was... An entire lifetime lived by Prince Durin. I think this is going to be a recurring theme we see throughout the whole series of how does an elf learn to respect the timeline of mortal beings. I'll go on record to say that the elevator or lift scene is the best scene in The Rings of Power to this point. I'll, I'll agree. I'll buy that. The interaction between the two of them was fantastic. The yeah. acting of both of those actors, you feel kind of the pain and betrayal that Durin has felt and Elrond has no idea. But once he sees his friend, then you immediately see the remorse. And I love how the actor for Prince Durin and Durin himself really portrays the stubborn and steadfast sort of character of the dwarves almost perfectly. Yeah, that, that scene was just fantastic. I'll, I'll buy what you're selling there, Andrew. That's for sure my favorite scene of the series so far. It feels weird to reduce it to quotes, but it was so good that I have two... Uh, a dog may bark at the moon, but he cannot bring it down was a great scene, especially coming from a dwarf's perspective. Again, the very end of this speech, right? the 20 years, sure, but the line that really hits hard is, you know, I've lived a life in these 20 years. And he says, a life you missed. That Ooh. line just hits so hard. And uh, I think that's finally the one that got Elrond over his his pride of being an elf, a little bit of the hubris and saying, oh, I've, I've lived forever. It doesn't bother me that I missed 20 years. That's the line that gets him going. And that's the line that we feel when we're watching. And Durin is still very hesitant to forgive Elrond for abandoning him for 20 years until he brings him home and we meet another great new character <laughs> introduced to the show. Princess Disa. Disa. Oh, she's amazing. Disa's amazing. And the relationship between Durin and Disa is the best relationship between two characters in the show so far. 
I would say. When Disa is describing how Durin tried to court her and he was cowardly <laughs> for five weeks. Two weeks at most. <laughs> They're those two people that you want to go and get dinner with because it would just be a great, funny, like enjoyable night. Right. You don't need anything else going on. You don't need to go to a movie or a comedy show. Just dinner. And Disa is finally able to soften up Durin enough to forgive Elrond for abandoning him for 20 years and finally allow Elrond to speak about the proposal that he has. The main reason he came to Khazad-dûm in the first place was to uh, ask the dwarves to come help build this tower for Celebrimbor. But we do get another beautiful scene. The next, my next most favorite part of, I guess, this episode was after that, that lift scene, right? Then, you know, they have their dinner scene and he talks about the, the tree seedling. Obviously, this it sounded like this this tree seedling or sapling was given to Durin by Elrond and he planted it and kept it all those years, even though Durin felt spurned by his friend. That's the second character that Elrond is kind of spurned. You know, there's this relationship, like he clearly loves his friend Elrond. Uh, honestly, that I have that cred. Yep. And contributing to that, um, I think it goes to show how much he truly does appreciate Elrond as a friend, because we have to consider the fact that light is probably a very valuable resource in the mines. Very valuable resource. And that entire greenhouse, I'm going to call it, is to completely illuminated to allow that tree to grow. And so... Elrond not being able to show up to his wedding, the birth of his two kids. I mean, you, you can't help but feel for Durin. How about his kids running down the stairs with... With the masks. With masks of him on. Giant masks that cover their whole body. We don't even know what they look like because there's <laughs> just faces of Durin running around. That was awesome. And then the last thing we get with the dwarves is another cliffhanger as Durin goes to meet with his father. King Durin the Third. There's two Durins at this point in the What's in the box? We get King Durin the Third discussing some sort of mystery going on. He thinks that there it's not just a coincidence that plot. Elrond showed up at this point. He thinks that Elrond is here to obtain whatever sort of mystery thing that What's the dwarves in the are hiding box? inside this box. What's in the box? So with uh when when they open up the box. What's in the box? <laughs> It shines on him, shine, illuminates bright. It illuminates so bright, it almost reminds me of that time that Frodo got stabbed by that giant troll. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, then there was a bright light. Oh, wait, that was an thrill. Jamie, when you say those two things back to back the way you just did, I'm definitely on the mithril camp. I think that is mithril in the box. And the way you said, oh, it's convenient timing. Well, the elves probably don't know about Mithro unless maybe Celebrimbor does. But I think this is new. I think this is a discovery. I think that's Mithro in the box for the first time the dwarves have harvested it. It's got to be Mithro or whatever was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Those are the <laughs> only two options. <laughs> you, you know, one thing that that kind of reminds me of, though, is, you know, once they found Mithril, they got, you know, the dwarves got rich. Too greedy. They, they got a little greedy. They started to dig a little too deep, they said. We do get a reference to that when Disa is explaining how resonating works yes. within the cave. She a, says a that they can sing too. and they can they can hear where they should mine, where they should tunnel, and where they should not dig. Hinting towards the fact that they're gonna get a little too greedy and, and dig where they know they shouldn't. 
good thing that Gandalf's now in the story and he's going to face off with the Balrog in the second age as well. (laughs) That's a great place for us to just give some quick final thoughts. Episode two, fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's go around the horn and let's get some final thoughts from everybody. And then as we end every episode of Hobbit Hoopla, let's rate this episode on a scale from zero to 111 hooplas. Andy, what'd you think? Overview kind of... I'm glad that they debuted this series with two episodes. I'm most excited for the Casa Doom, Elrond, and Celebrimbor storyline. We know that Celebrimbor is kind of going to do his crafting. I want to see how we get there. Uh, and then how the Mithril plays a part in that as well. I'm going to give it a 95 out of 111. 95? That's pretty good. What? That's a good episode right Boys, there. Boys, there's only two episodes I started so with far. an 80. I started with an, I started with an 80 on the first 95. So it's a big jump up from your opinion. I support that. I, I love this episode. What about you, Jake? What do you think? For me, I am very happy that they decided to go and not introduce both the elves and the dwarves in a singular episode. Uh, I think they, they nailed both of them. I love seeing the interaction already between the dwarves and the elves. That's always something we always enjoy looking forward to. You know, we get our first, our largest natural-born monster, uh, the worm, and that's uh, at least on scene or uh, on film. And so that was a lot of fun to see. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited to, to see where more things can happen, but I'm going to give this a 90. 90 out of one, uh, 111. I love it. These scores coming in hot, as they should. It's a freaking Lord of the Rings show. We gotta be it's pushing Lord triple of the digits. Rings. We're back. And now, Chris, you've got a look on your face saying you're going to give it a little bit of a lower rating, but I know you still love the episode. What are, what are your final thoughts here? You sweet, <laughs> simple summer children. Oh, how I envy you. 90s? Really? 90s out of 111. It's not 90 out of 100. You're not far off. I'll give you that. In my opinion, it's a bit of a sleeper episode, and it had to be. We have to flesh out the dwarf. The dwarven scenes carried the entire episode, and if you were to separate them, I'm giving the dwarven scenes a hundred out of 111. As an average, I just don't think the rest of the episode. Again, it's it's just a springboard. We're still waiting on more. I'll give the overall episode a 70. A 70? Out of 11? Oh, wow. That's like worse. That's worse? a failing grade. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I didn't think it was, as, it was two points worse. If oh I remember, I gave the first a 72. Uh, again, it's still wow. early, but I just think you guys are too high up. You got to leave room to grow. And I have great expectations for what's to come. I'll I'll say that I'm uh, very excited for what's to come and overall <laughs> feeling very positive about these two episodes that have been released so far. But I think you guys are crazy giving them too high. Well, you heard it here, folks. Chris is a stickler when it comes to grades. All you hoopla heads out there in the Twitters, get at Chris. Tell him that his grades are too low. Get in the comments. Hashtag critical Chris. Yeah, everybody, let us know if you agree with Andy and Jake on their ratings or if you're more on the side of Chris giving episode two a failing grade, which is insane. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, I support that. I personally love this episode. I personally really liked what was going on with Nori and the Stranger. I gave the first episode a 90 out of 111. This one was a little bit better. I'm bumping that up to a 93 out of 111. Hope that. 
Thank you all for tuning in to our second episode of Hobbit Hoopla as we took a look at episode two of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Tune in next week. We'll be talking about episode three. Very excited to see where all these storylines start heading. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. Find us on Twitter, Instagram. Tweet at Chris. Tell him that he's harsh. <laughs> Tweet at Andy. In the comments, tell him that I don't great. care. <laughs> That tell Andy that he's doing great with his grading scale. Tell Jake he's also doing great. Let us know what you guys think of the show. Let us know what you think of our show. We'd be happy to hear any feedback about Hobbit Hoopla. And now for our favorite segment of the show. There is some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. As you guys know, we like to shout out a nerd content creator. This week, I see some good here with Nalu the Piano Man, N-A-L-U the Piano Man on both Instagram and TikTok. He is a piano cover artist. I'm sure he has uh, a lot of cool, you can actually book him, so he's got a lot of cool events. But the things that I've been interested in, he's got a lot of covers of popular nerd fandoms, Marvel themes, Harry Potter themes, certainly Star Wars, and of course, Lord of the Rings. But he turns them into wedding songs. So, as you're walking down the aisle, you can walk down to the Concerning Hobbits theme from The Shire or... Perhaps you can walk down the aisle to the Force theme from the Star Wars. Uh, check him out, N-A-L-U, the Piano Man on Instagram and TikTok. I think you're going to get a hoot when you hear some of the compositions that he's put together. That's incredible. Can I walk down the aisle to the sound of Gandalf and the Balrag fighting each other? <laughs> I am looking and he does not have that one up yet, but... Uh, yes, I can't get married yet. He might he might have the Casa Doom theme up here soon. So. As soon as he gets Casa Doom theme, I will consider getting married. Until then, <laughs> not a chance. Yeah, uh, maybe he takes requests, but uh, definitely check him out. Uh, worth Worth a watch and it certainly absorbs some of my time. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode three. And now the moment of highest hoopla, our quote of the episode. What do you got for us this week, Andy? All right. The highest hoopla quote here by Disa. Some called him a fool for believing it would grow in such darkness. Elrond then responds, where there is love, it is never truly dark. How could it not grow in a home like yours? Did I miss that? Was I drinking my soup?